Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man? What's going on, Dim? It's uh, it's playoff time. You know what? It's almost like it's amazing the playoffs are on uh, upon us, but it's also almost a time to reflect. Like we got here. Like the fact that hockey, basketball, like they they're able to finish their seasons and get to the playoffs is feels like uh, no small feat. But uh, this first round is always like the best two weeks of hockey in the year. Mm-hmm. Just every day, so many games, so much stuff going on. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is one of my favorite annual traditions. I, I say it every time, but you and I getting together, getting getting nerdy about specific matchups, doing some uh, deep dive X's and O's. It's, uh, yeah, I, I love the, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the intensity and the quality of competition obviously increases as the stakes do as well. But just from, from our perspective as analysts and people watching these games, the ability to sort of just see the same matchups over and over again and really sink your teeth into how the two teams line up against each other is, is one of my favorite parts of it. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's probably what coaches like. I, I always remember as a player when you play in the playoffs, like obviously there's a lot more attention being paid to systems and matchups, but you, you're still kind of playing. You're, you're probably not analyzing, or at least I didn't analyze it while I was in the like in the series. I didn't think, okay, I'm playing against whoever Danny Briere with the Buffalo Sabres. Like I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. It's not working. You just kind of end up playing. You leave the coaches to think about it, but. Uh, you and I can certainly dig deep into uh, how we think things are going to go. Yeah. Well, so thanks to uh, the scheduling uh, quirk where the North Division playoffs don't start till Wednesday um, because the Canucks need to finish their season for whatever reason, we've been afforded the opportunity to to fit this one in. So you and I are going to um, look at the two North Division matchups in round one and sort of try to highlight some some key things to watch for whether it's you know key matchups x factors how these teams can exploit their opponents weaknesses you i feel like are, are uniquely qualified i want to do this one with you because you obviously had uh, plenty of up close viewings of these teams throughout the regular season obviously i think you, you did the most habs games though right uh yeah i probably did the most habs games this year for sure well, let's save let's save that one for after. Let's do Oilers Jets first. I, I, I'm more <laughs> interested right. in it from a from a kind of X's and O's perspective. So I want to I want to start with Oilers Jets, and then we'll do Habs Leafs on the other end. Um, so I think the most logical starting point for us here is Connor McDavid, and sort of from the Jets perspective, what the hell you do to try and, and slow him down uh, in the nine games the two teams played versus each other. He went off for seven goals, 15 assists. He punctuated it with uh, with a hat trick in one of their most recent appearances, where he kind of just dunked all over the entire Winnipeg Jets team. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, a fair question to, to lead off this preview is, you know, how much should we be reading into the regular season head-to-heads? Uh, and in this specific case, I think the answer for me is we should because you just watch him dominate them to such a spectacular degree. It's impossible not to think like, okay, if something doesn't change where they change the way they, they defend him and at least pose some level of resistance, this could get really ugly. So. Um, how much are we sort of, because obviously it's Connor McDavid, he, everyone he played this season, he made them look silly, 
but it feels like for whatever reason, just because of this specific matchup, it really sticks out as well. Like the Winnipeg Jets need to do something differently than what they did in their nine regular season head-to-heads. They do, and, and I would imagine they will try uh, because the results speak for themselves. And, and, I, and I've thought about this and been asked this a lot, and, and I think this year we probably should put more stock into how the regular season series played out, provided the personnel was roughly the same and, and there's no major injuries or whatever, because when you play each other eight, nine, ten times like they did in the North, you know, it's frequent enough that it's not just kind of a blip on the schedule. Like, it happens often enough that I think the trends are worth noting and paying attention to. And, and the trend of Conor McDavid running roughshod through Winnipeg was there the entire year. And I think what makes Winnipeg a, it puts Winnipeg in a difficult spot is that they love to let their goaltender be really good. Give up, you know, more than their fair share of chances, but allow Connor Hellebuck to keep them in games, and then allow their superior finishing up front to create and do more, score more with, you know, a fewer fewer chances, um, you know, a lower percentage of the play because they just have really good finishes on their team. I think that still remains to be true, but they don't really, despite maybe their internal analytics, they don't really play great five-on-five defense no. right like they're, they're a risky team they love lateral plays they love aggressive offensive thinking which is why their guys put up so many points but when you do that against Connor mcdavid it's a bad matchup because when you turn pucks over against him you know what's going to happen nothing very good and and you look at their team and you think well mark shifley is an excellent player if it's going to be Connor Wheeler and Shifley, like that's not a great defensive matchup. And you'd like to think, well, maybe he could play up against them one-on-one, but I, I don't know if I like that from Winnipeg's perspective. I, I don't know how well they do there. If it's the second line and it's Pierre-Luc Dubois or Stasny and Ehlers, maybe it gives them a, bitter, better, a bit of a better look. But again, um, you know, the pace of Stasny, I'm not so sure, and, and Dubois, who's been just okay for them. Again, I don't think that works really well. And maybe it's Adam Lowry, what is it, Cop and Appleton, really good players, kind of a nice third line. But even then, they don't play with that same kind of pace. So my issue for Winnipeg is going to be... You're, I can't imagine they're going to change who they are, like their offensive philosophy, the kind of creativity and the way they want to play. But when they do that, it feeds counterattacks. And that's where Edmonton and that's where Connor McDavid is better than anyone else in the world. So I don't know what they plan on doing. They're not wired to lock it down and play low event hockey and try to win 2-1 and have the shots be 22-20. It's not who they are. So I don't know where they go from here. And my last thought is, if there was some magical system, and I have thoughts on how you can defend Conor McDavid, we'll get to it, but if the Jets thought, okay, this would work with our group, don't you think they would have tried it at some point in the last nine games? Like, I think they would have probably experimented with it somehow, no? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So, I mean, taking that, that sample from the regular season, what we did see is Paul Maurice, like most coaches, went power versus power, and he basically matched mm-hmm. his top line against McDavid. And... What happened was 97 just completely devoured Shifley and Wheeler. Uh, in 62 minutes at 5 on 5 versus Blake Wheeler this year, the goals were 11 to 1 for Edmonton and the high danger chances were 24 to 7. And yeah. similarly versus Shifley. And so for me, it is an interesting philosophical debate, right? Because I think their best option based on the data we'd look at and kind of as a thought exercise would be yeah, try to hard match that combination of Lowry and Appleton because they had better defensive numbers. It allows mm-hmm. you to sort of free up your top scorers to try and have some softer minutes where they might actually have the puck versus the Oilers' depth and maybe they can score themselves. But the issues you bump into are, A, you don't have home ice in this series, which makes it a bit tougher. B, a guy like McDavid does so much of his damage on the fly that even you can hard match him all you want and then he can just sneak out there for a shift and burn you. And C, and this is the biggest one for me, he plays so much. Him and Dry Seidel are on the ice so much at five. That's five, the problem. That if that's the problem. If you're a coach, how would you approach this? Because I, I find I'm all for trying to get your best defensive players out against the other teams' best offensive players. But if you walk too far down that path, all of a sudden you find yourself playing Lowry and Appleton more than Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And for all my concerns about them defensively, it's clear that, you know, there's lesser players there and better players there. And if you're hard matching too much, all of a sudden you kind of get away from actually playing your best players the most. And that's an, another issue entirely in itself. 
Yeah, and, and and you lose you lose your players, you lose your bench. Guys get pissed off, and like I, every time I go on the ice, I gotta what check my shoulder. Am I allowed to play right now, or do I gotta take off? Like guys get very very irritated. Even though it makes sense, you might not be a great defensive player, but Blake Wheeler wants no part of a shoulder check. Am I allowed to keep playing, or do I have to change again? And so that that is a real problem. I, I think what you have to do because they play because Connor plays so much, and he'll play even more in the playoffs. I mean, he might play twenty plus regular five on five minutes like he, he, you know if, if that's how the game goes he, he can yep. um so you probably got to go if you're going to go down the road of okay let's go lowry and appleton and cop and see what happens there take our chances will you kind of bracket that with another line and if that's shifley or if it's dubois whoever it is so maybe lowry and those guys take the first 30 40 seconds and then if there's a whistle and mcdavid stays out well, maybe then you change and say, we got our fresh guys against their not really tired guys, but at least middle of a shift guys. And, and maybe that swings it in our favor. Plus we get our guys out there. And also if they happen to overextend a shift or if you're shifling and they change on the fly and you just keep playing it out. And then Lowry picks up the second half of the shift. You kind of use two lines instead of just the one. I think that's probably your best bet um, as far as just managing the minutes that McDavid might play. Um, I mean, listen. Pick your poison. I mean, McDavid's the the, the the ultimate poison. But if you you know you're worried about him, then Drysaddle comes along himself, and he does he does some pretty good things. But the one team I saw, and we're gonna get to Montreal momentarily. But the one thing I saw throughout this year when doing Edmonton games, watching Edmonton games, was Montreal committed to almost shadowing McDavid in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. And so when they would go in their neutral zone forecheck, it's a one-two-two or one-three-one, whatever it is, they would get away from their system and they would take their first forward and wherever McDavid swings, he would go with them and he would stay on the defensive side of them. And he would just kind of discourage ever anybody passing the puck to McDavid. And you'd see long stretches against Montreal where, you know, he'd be swinging and, and they wouldn't give him the puck because he was always covered. Now you'd be able to get the blue line. You might be able to get you know the red line and dump it in, but you wouldn't be McDavid attacking you with speed. And I think given how poorly it's gone for Winnipeg this year, it might not be a terrible idea to explore something like that. You know, Appleton's a pretty good skater. You know, I don't know if Lowry can quite hang with him. Cop's quite a good skater. Um, maybe you, you try to just shadow him so he never gets the puck when you get in a controlled situation or in the neutral zone. If it's a quick regroup, find McDavid, identify him, and then everyone else just kind of sort it out. Yeah, well, so I, I completely agree. I would, I would also add, um, you know, it was just three games, but those three games where the Leafs notably held mcdavid and, and the oilers off the board basically in edmonton they did a similar thing where mm-hmm. it's just basically like layers of defense plenty of support and you're meeting him head on you're not allowing him to just waltz into the offensive zone unabated you're trying to kind of meet him head on and then push him a bit to the side and if he goes around you because he has the speed to do so you can kind of live with that because he's one of the only players in the world that can do so but what you can't live with as a coach and as a player for me is watching a guy just walk in and then slice right through the middle and have a basically beeline towards your goalie. And that's what I saw a lot of when I was watching the tape of McDavid versus the Jets this year. And it kind of brought this point to my attention of in Corey Schneider's tracking this season, the Jets defense broke up just 10.9% of five on five entries against this season, which was the lowest rate of any playoff team. And so for me, that's alarming because I think notably the Jets seem to be pretty conservative with their defense. Like, we can get into the actual personnel and how capable they are, but I think in terms of what Paul Maurice and his staff are asking of them, it's very bare bones. They don't really let them jump in and activate in the offensive zone. They don't really let them jump in on the rush. They're asking their forwards to do a lot of the heavy lifting in the transition game. And so for that group to then go out and be that conservative defensively and not be using, okay, we don't have many offensive responsibilities. Let's instead focus on really closing up the gap here. They're not even doing that. And just watching these ta- this tape, it was just remarkable to me. They're basically letting McDavid just slingshot in the neutral zone and create mm-hmm. crazy amounts of speed. And no matter how good you are defensively, even if they had an all-star team-level defense, if you're giving him that much speed time and time again, he's going to burn you. And so for me, part of it is personnel and part of it is just game plan. It seems like there's no really coherent effort there in terms of like, okay, how can we limit yeah. this as opposed to just kind of throwing our hands up and saying, oh, we hope he doesn't burn us tonight. And we know just having two defensemen back there is not enough, right? Like, he's just going to have bodies in the way or bodies in the position. He just goes right around him, right through him. And I think two parts of what I watched Winnipeg play, you you mentioned those uh, zone break-up numbers, which are telling. But part of that is the personnel. 
part of that is there's a, there's often a large separation that that connectivity between the forwards and the defensemen in Winnipeg when you watch them play when they start heading back in their own end that they're not as tight as you'd like them to be and as you need them to be to deal with McDavid right you need more guys around them you talk about layers and sticks and you know bothering them keeping outside and just doing that but so they put some of it a lot of it on the Winnipeg defense but also because the forwards are so aggressive when there's a turnover it's not like there's you know great backtracking there's always a third man there and a fourth guy there to support so uh, you'd like them to get up and gap up so they can try to match a bit better but you'd also like a little bit more support around them to give them the confidence like okay can I push up a little bit because I have other people helping me if something goes awry and I, I think all those things the entire defensive structure system offensive philosophy it all lends itself to being a bad matchup for a guy who's faster than everyone else more talented than everyone else if you give them a hundred foot runway to attack you at the blue line it's, bad. it's a bad match it's a bad it's a bad it's a bad look with bad results well and that's why for me i think yes he pulled i think people will kind of shrug and be like okay anyone playing with Connor mcdavid is going to put up good numbers but just in terms of the way he's embraced basically being a four checker and then as soon as he doesn't have the puck but the oilers do he just goes straight towards the net keeps his stick down and tries to basically cause havoc around there he's been such a godsend for mcdavid in that regard for me at five on five because so many more times this season He's kind of creating these uh, 50-50 sort of loose puck uh, plays in the off- in the neutral zone where he deflects it and all of a sudden McDavid's mm-hmm. basically allowed to skate into it. And, you know, what you're saying there about the connectivity and having sort of those layers and having that structure for even a well-structured team, like, you know, you know this as a player, like as soon as the puck kind of breaks down, the play breaks down, all of a sudden everyone's a bit out of position and it's much more difficult to do so. And so... Pugliarvi in that regard for me has been uh, amazing to watch with him because he's done a lot of the sort of less glorified dirty work but for me as a hockey nerd it's been amazing watching him kind of create those extra opportunities for McDavid yeah and you can almost see him grow in being sure of like what can I do what should I do to help McDavid beyond get out of the way right like like it's a fine balance like I mean I can appreciate that you know he's a young guy coming back he gets these opportunities and where do I go? What do I do? And, and I think, you know, maybe not the great best example, but you, you think of what like Pascal Dupuis used to do for Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. You know, skate around real quick, get in on the four check, poke pucks loose, try to be defensively reliable, and then know enough where your guy wants the puck and where he's coming from. Doesn't always work because sometimes you see Connor kind of like, hey, come on. Yeah, see, I wanted here, not there. But, you know, he, he does do a good job of, of, creating loose pucks, occupying space, and then giving Connor his own space. And and that's not as easy as it sounds like it should be with him. So he's been a good fit there. He's been a good fit there riding shotgun. And, I mean, you know, Connor played the last few weeks with you know, Cahoon. Yep. And, and Pulleyarvi, it's not like he didn't play very much with Drysaddle. Um, you know, they go at the end of penalty kills and starting periods and ending periods, but they don't they don't play a regular rotation together. So, you know, Connor's doing those with Cahoon and, and with and with Pugliarvi, and, and that puts even more pressure on Pugliarvi to make sure that he is one of the guys creating and then occasionally finishing as well. It kind of reminds me of, of uh, a basketball analogy when there's like an offensive rebound, right? And then and then all of a sudden you get it, you pass it out, and the shooters are wide open because the defense was trying to go for the rebound, and instead now they're all of a sudden out of position, and that's generally that's, when you that's it. open looks. Um, Everyone chases the ball off the rim, and all of a sudden there's nobody back. It's a three-on-one, right? Like at some point you, you got to back up. But that, but that, but like Winnipeg has been good and, or has had success playing this way, and their best players like playing this way, and their coach likes their best players playing this way. So it's you put all that. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a tough combo. And yeah, I got, if they could change it, don't you think they would? Don't you think they already would have tried it? Yeah. Well, I wonder based on Paul Maurice's comments whether they think. They need to change it. Well, maybe it might just be sort of saving face in front of media, but yeah, I mean, he he, yeah, and he and Paul Paul, I like Paul a lot, and he's a bright guy, and I don't necessarily, you know, a lot of what he says in the media is for public consumption, not really probably what he means privately. But um, again, I go back to the fact that if you could, if you had a, a better plan, or you, you might have experimented with at some point in the last couple months. Okay, well, so here are my here are my questions for you then to kind of follow up on that. One from the Oilers' perspective in this series. Are you splitting McDavid and Dreisaitl up like you have for large stretches, or are you loading them up? And and the second is, from the Jets' perspective, you were kind of talking about what your plan would be to try and slow down McDavid, acknowledging there's no 
sort of right answer, he's going to get his regardless. But at least making, mm-hmm. you know, posing some sort of resistance where you at least make him work for a little bit and he's not just going basically coast to coast every time on you. What would you be doing? I'd, I'd love to see like a Barry Trotz just cook up a game plan for seven games to see and what, what he would do there. But, but what, what, <laughs> right. what are your ideas beyond um, what we I guess we've kind of already talked a little bit about it, but but kind of expand on that. Well, I mean, I think that Edmonton can win series with McDavid and Drysdale together. I don't think they can win a Stanley Cup if they play together all the time. Like, I think they need more because when they're, the two of them are not on the ice, the numbers fall so much. Shots, scoring chances, actual goals, expected goals. When neither one of them or both of them are not on the ice, it, it just plummets, which is maybe normal, but also too far to maybe be competitive. So you, as great as they are together, I think you have to keep them apart. And I think they've got a good system now where, you know, after every penalty kill, they play together five on five. At the end of every period, they play together five on five. If they need to push for whatever reason, they'll play together five on five. So they'll spot them two or three times per period five on five so you know they do get a little bit of a look to each other but i don't think if i'm dave Tippett, i go down that road uh certainly not to start as far as what's the yeah the barry trot special uh, it's you know what it's it's really difficult but i think okay who's good enough skater like which line can skate well enough to play with these guys and because connor you know he, he he fights through traffic now, and he, you know you, you can't take him out of the, out off his game physically to the same degree. So I, I think I go with the same idea. Well, we got to play very smart with the puck. So like un, we understand risk reward in offensive players. Occasionally, we'll assume risk to try to create something. We're gonna err on the side of no risk, less reward. We're gonna push it forward, push it forward. And then always, always have one guy, you know, never give him two on twos, never give him even three on threes, always have third and fourth guys back and around him, bothering him on both sides of the puck. So from behind and from in front, doing your best you can. Like, I, I, like when I, I mean, I would, I would bust out the Montreal tape and watch, you know, I've seen Philip Deneau, Tatar and Gallagher and, you know, do what, like watch how those guys treated him when the puck got above the tops of the defensive circles for Edmonton. That's how I want us to approach this. Try to never even let him get it uh, before he gives us problem. I, I think something like that would be good. The other issue, though, is so when you do all that, it's nice if you have you know a Jeff Petrie or a good skater that can kind of gap up and challenge him. You know Morrissey, Pionk, Forbert, Pullman, Deme- like are any of those guys comfortable or confident enough? to step forward and try to challenge him when you, even if you have the support, you know, you get the force to do their job, primarily a defensive line. You're not going to score very much against them. You're just trying to saw them off every game. Then even like, will their defensemen do that? I'm not sure that they will. And I think that's, that's the second part of the equation. Um, There's only so much protecting you can do if everyone's inclination is just backing up. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you're right. And and for this team, it's, it's tricky because if you go, like we said earlier, if you if you focus entirely on that, all of a sudden you're maybe not jumping out on the rush as much as as you would have otherwise, and that's pretty much their primary source of yeah, offense. But Tim, like, five. but if you're Lowry's line, right? That's okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like I'm not gonna tell Shifley because we're not gonna try to have him out there quite as much, and we're not gonna tell, tell Dubois and Ehlers not to go because like they gotta go. That's what makes them special players. But if you're if you're gonna be the line that plays against them, like. Consider, I don't know, if you're going to get a seven-game series, what would be an acceptable net negative at five-on-five five against Conor McGavin over seven games? If you are net negative, if you're minus three, you know, he, sc- he scores four, you score one, like you probably would take that yeah. over seven games if you were able to kind of, you know, and then just hope the other guys, your other two better scoring lines can outdo what they do down low. Like you have to learn, you have to approach it as, a zero zero like we saw them off we don't get scored on they don't score just leave it at that like that that is a massive win for us but that's not the jets that's not the jets personality and that that's that's another issue altogether yeah the reason why i brought up from the Oilers perspective whether you'd play mcdavid and dressettle together or separate them i think in this specific matchup they're better off splitting them up and sort of going for a more balanced possession approach Mm -hmm. and just play McDavid with Pugliarvi and Cahoon or whatever and just have 60% of the shot attempts or whatever because uh, you know the formula for the Jets here is what we're talking about it's like yeah we want you to play Drysdale and McDavid together and kind of go for broke offensively and try to score off the rush because that in turn gives us opportunities to go back the other way and that's the only way we're really gonna 
you know, you, your, your firepower is better than ours, but over a seven-game series, we also have enough talent where we could conceivably outscore you. I think, which kind of pivots me towards uh, talking about Nikolai Ehlers and sort of the more Jets perspective here because we've talked they about, need him a lot about doing Badly. It. Yeah, so let's, oh let's talk gosh. about this from the, from the Jets perspective. Like how, what, what, what are we talking about here in terms of how they can, you know, match the firepower here and, and sort of keep up in this series and, and potentially win it? Well, I, I think, well, I mean, or state the obvious, you start with Connor Hellebuck, right? The guy's the Vezina Trophy winner. He has the ability, and he listen. He's been called on for what four years to be awesome. Like, you know, Winnipeg wins a lot of games, but they don't win a lot of you know shots and chance counts. You know, they they let their goaltender do some good work. So it starts with him. If he's not excellent, then th- there is no chance. But beyond that, um, you know, I, I think you gotta hope that uh, your elite level offensive talent, and and they got some, um, you know, Kyle Connor. Shifley, Wheeler, they're all very good offensive players. Um, you got to hope those guys can take advantage of either McDavid, because when you play against McDavid, you make a really good point. I just covered him, I don't know, three times in the last five, five games I did. You know, he'll give you chances too. You know, he, he, he wants offense so much that he'll give you chances. So you're hoping that your superior finishing, the depth of your finishing, so, you know, they have Drysdale McDavid, but you have four or five, six guys that can kind of really score at an elite level. You're hoping those guys make up for what I think will be a disparity in shots and chances and all the rest of it and expected goals. You're just hoping that, you know, we got good enough shooters that we do some good things. So um, that, I think that's where you have to try to take advantage. I think that, that's, that's Winnipeg's best bet. Um, try to create, try to be willing to, everybody except for McDavid, you're kind of willing to go chance for chance. Just trusting that your chance finishers are better than theirs. And probably historically, other than McDavid and Drysaddle, they have been. Um, you just can't do that with 97 on the ice. Yeah, I really hope Ehlers is healthy and, and can play. Oh, he's so important. He's so important. Because when you watch them play, and, and it, you know, it's nice that they've, Connor, what, Connor, Shifley, and Wheeler been together for you know four or five games here, and they had that one big game with a couple left, four points for Wheeler, um, get their confidence going. But when, when Ehlers is not in that lineup, when you play with Perot, and Dubois and Stasny, all good players, all smart players, like them all, but they don't scare you, right? They don't, and they can't push pace. They can't, you know, their zone entry game, their neutral, you know, neutral zone transition is not, not frightening. And I think we put Ehlers on that line, and it's entirely different. He he's their best five on five forward, their best, like offensively, and you know, maybe the defensive metrics weren't quite as good this year as they have been in the past but you know in many ways they're top 60 their best defense for two uh and i think you know if you're gonna have that line out there against one of the top two lines in edmonton you need a guy like him who can play with pace play with the puck take advantage of opportunities given to him uh but also turn pucks over and backtrack and do some of those other things we talk about i hope he's healthy i've been on the ehlers bandwagon i do my radio show every day and my co-host always like yeah i know you're not just the you're not just on the fan club you're the president too i'm like yeah i've been on ehlers for a couple of years now when they're trying to trade him out of there i'm like don't be doing that um so i hope he's always ready to go because he can also thrive in this kind of series like a little bit more open ice kind of a rush game that's where he's at his very best yeah well, to put, put, give you some stats for that, only players in the league with more zone entries per 60 this year, Connor McDavid, Matt Barzal, and Jack Hughes. First in rush shots per 60, McDavid was second. Uh, far and away leads the team in shots and shots assists per 60. Yeah, he is their most important skater at 5-on-5, and his ability, I mean, we talked about it. Like, for them to be humming offensively, they need to create opportunistically off the rush, and no one does it mm-hmm. better for them and more consistently. So, yeah, I think the only other, yeah, you mentioned the goalies, for me, it's like the least interesting component of it because everyone knows it's the most important. And in a normal world, I'd be like, okay, Connor Hellebuck versus Mike Smith would be a big advantage for them. But Mike <laughs> Smith was really good this year and had a 922 save percentage and had the seventh best goals they would have expected. And so uh, I still trust Connor Hellebuck more, especially his ability to steal some of these games. And when he's on, he's right up there with Vasilevsky for me as the best goalies in the world. But Mike Smith, to his credit, has been at least decent this year for them pretty much every time, and that's a big improvement over what I thought they'd get. So it's not even that on paper it seems like it's a it's a big advantage, but in reality this season it hasn't been nearly as much as you probably would have thought. And I got to tell you, I, you know, we like to say when we're right. I was right about Nick Ehlers for a few years now. 
I could not have been more wrong about Mike Smith this year. I'm like, I don't know if he should be on the team. I, or, no, maybe they got to find a better option if they can't get rid of Koskinen's contract. Like, I don't know if Mike Smith, and then he gets hurt and doesn't get camp and doesn't get the start of the year. And you're thinking, there's no way. He's almost 40 years old. He can't step back in and, and be anything more than maybe a, a below-grade backup and i was wrong he was as you mentioned you i don't know what is he top five top six goldies in the year this in the league this year um he's been consistent he's been consistent and um he gives them a chance to win now it's important that he stays that way because koskin is not a viable option as the backup but yeah i mean you would have thought when you handicap in this massive advantage for, for connor hellebuck and the jets and it's this year, I mean, I'm with you. I would trust Hellebuck's ability to, 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 to do it more often and be required to do a little bit more. But uh, Mike Smith's no slouch this year at all. He's been fantastic. He has. Uh, is there anything else on the series, or do you want to move on now? Leafs has. Uh, the only other thing that would be curious to me is that um, something to watch. So Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry have obviously benefited more than anybody else in the league by playing with Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. I mean... The fact that what Tyson Berry led the league in scoring for defensemen uh, and Darnell Nurse, 16, 17 goals, whatever he had. Um, I watched them play, and well, they, they get a lot of points, they get a lot of chances. I think I put myself in my defensive checking role when I played a couple times late in my career, and I was, you know, the third line in Montreal, and every game we had to play Danny Heatley and, and Jason Spetson and Alfredson. And, and, I put Barry and Nurse in that category with those guys too. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme, Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work, Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Because you'll get chances. So watch, something to watch for is do those guys get caught up ice because they both go up ice all the time. Darnell Nurse is a really good skater, so he catches, him, he catches up often and gets himself out of trouble but I, i'm curious to see whether those guys five on five on a counter-attack team like winnipeg if they get stuck at all because they give you looks they just they just flat out they give you looks and winnipeg's the wrong team to do that against right yeah right. Uh, that's a good call there um all right let's yeah we got 30 minutes out of that i was honestly expecting like 15 minutes a piece here but i, I should have known better calibrated for me and you talking about yeah me and you is always we always run run long all right let's do leafs habs then um where, where do you want to start off with this one? Where Because I think, you know, if you look at the statistical models, I think even the most optimistic ones have the Habs at like 35 to 40% probability of winning this series. Uh, there's yeah. obviously a lot of other factors at play. We don't even health-wise, like what, what we're going to get from them. But, um, you know, just because of recent history, I think people are very kind of cautious about that uh, prognosis. And so I'm really curious to, to get your take on, on this series in terms of sort of what you're looking for uh, especially have as, as someone who's watched these teams so closely, including the Habs. Okay, so I mean, I think you start off. We'll start off Montreal side because there's lots of questions there, um, mostly regarding health, because how they put their roster together and how it all looks and how it all works, in a lot of ways, will be determined by you know what's what's Shea Weber, what's Brendan Gallagher, what's Philip Deneau, like, and that's like how they play the game will depending on who they have available to them in the lineup. So I think. Brendan Gallagher, to me, is like the engine that drives this team. And I saw a great little number the other day where we know, know Tatar Gallagher have been you know, a possession monster the last few seasons. 
and their expected goal model, which Montreal always does pretty well in, but um, has always been really high with Gallagher there. But when Gallagher left the lineup, the Noah Tatar still had really strong possession numbers, but their expected goals went way down. So they got lots of quantity, lots of time in the offensive zone, but not the same kind of quality. That's what Brendan Gallagher gives them, gives that line. And if you're going to play them up against probably Austin Matthews, obviously, um, if they can, um, that will be hugely significant. The Gallagher's healthy, okay. Deneau's healthy, okay. Because when they are, they can do a pretty good job on you. They can do a pretty good job on anybody, including Austin Matthews, Mitch Barner, as great as those guys are. So that's question number one. Um, but it looks like I think Brendan Gallagher is supposed to play, actually, a, a game in the minors, right, uh, amazingly enough. Conditioning's in Laval, and Carey Price, for that matter, which is crazy. I can't imagine those guys in the minors. But, um, you know, provided that he's okay, I think that changes complexion quite a bit. Uh, the other... The other question for Montreal, of course, is, you know, if Shea Weber can come back and he's still not back yet to practicing with the team with only a few days before the series starts. You know, how do they set up their pairings at Edmondson and Petrie and then become Sherratt and Weber? So I think Sherratt and Weber against Toronto, against the best lines in Toronto, they might struggle a little bit just because of how quick those Toronto lines can move the puck. So I, I think, and then of course, Carey Price. I mean, who knows what he's going to bring, but that will answer itself very clearly. Yep. I had the Habs uh, foot speed on the blue line against the, the Leafs forwards as one of my things to watch. I think the importance of Gallagher mm-hmm. is similar to what we were saying with, with Ehlers for the Jets is their offensive engine first in high danger attempts per 60, first in shots, fifth in goals this year. And I think that was a really good point you made there about um, how the quality went significantly down. And I think the reason why that's important in this series is I think people still generally think of the Leafs as being this you know soft, porous defensive team and certainly some of it is the teams they played this season, but by the metrics, they gave the at 5-on-5 five five, the 8th fewest expected goals against, the 6th fewest actual goals, the ninth fewest high-danger attempts. In all situations, the only teams who had fewer expected goals against per game than them were Colorado, Boston, and Dallas. And so mm-hmm. if you look at their, their heat map and their shot chart on Michael McCurdy's site, Hockey Viz, it's all point shots. And that's a problem for Montreal because they're one of the teams who a lot of their offense comes from spamming shots from the points. And so they really need someone like Gallagher who can get on the inside and create rebounds and create more high danger attempts for them. And if they're not getting that, or if he's out there, but playing at a diminished ability, that's going to be a huge mm-hmm. problem for them in terms of being able to consistently create five on five offense. Yeah. Big time, big time. So, um, and the other part of it, so another part of the Montreal Canadiens, I watch them all the time is that, uh, we know they came flying out of the gate. Rush chances, rush chances, first in the league in rush opportunities, first in the league in rush goals, all that stuff through 10 games. And then I think teams kind of clued in and say, well, we better not give them any of those because they're fast. Like, they are very fast. They get up and down the ice. They don't score great off cycles. They, they, just, they just don't. Even, you know, big guy Josh Anderson, like, he's more of a straight line guy. He's not really a cycle kind of guy that, that, that generates that way. So um, if you don't, if you don't feed their transition game, if you can be patient, and I think the Leafs have taken massive strides this year in being a better defensive team, managing pucks more appropriately. Um, Montreal, they may get the puck in the offensive zone, but they don't, they don't generate a ton of quality off cycles, primarily off the rush. And so some of that's their good defense, but I think also, it, it, you know, if you're the opponent, not giving them those rush chances will be important for, for Toronto just to kind of limit their, what they do best. Yep. Uh, from the Leafs' perspective, I mean, you know, a lot of their season-long numbers and, and especially 5-on-5 five five numbers were, were through the roof, and there's no concerns there. I guess the thing that I'm looking for here is... And it seems almost impossible given their personnel and their firepower. I'm sure you, you've talked about this plenty mm-hmm. on radio over their last 29 games, 131 and a half minutes on the power play. Goals are five five to five in that time. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. I, I read Jack on did a really good piece on this in terms of like shooter handedness. And I know people watching them have really sort of, uh, you know, quibbled with their, with their zone entry schemes. And, and I think there's, yeah, it seems like in their most recent practices, they've been tinkering with sort of splitting up into two units and that's something i generally disagree with because i think you should just play your five best offensive players for like a minute and a half out of the two minute power play but uh, clearly they they need to do something um it, it seems almost impossible for for any team to be that bad on the power play but especially this one uh mm-hmm. yeah, it, and, and it's almost even crazier that it hasn't mattered one bit along the way but <laughs> we know in the postseason um 
it, especially when the margins sort of decrease and you can have wild swings like that, that, that figuring this out is probably, I imagine, really high on Sheldon Keefe's list. Uh, yeah, big time. And, and it's hard to understand. I mean, you thought you think just by talent alone, have some sort of idea what you're doing, but just say go play guys. And with the five guys they can put out there, however you want to put them out there, that would be enough to be at least mediocre, let alone, you know, excellent. So, um, yeah, I, I thought a lot about it. You know, I, I've done some different things. I, I thought initially, you know, at the beginning of this kind of cold run that they've had, I thought they were getting stuck up top and it was getting very stationary between Austin Matthews, Morgan Riley and Mitch Marner. And like Mitch Marner is in a, like just an incredible player. There's nothing not to love about him. He doesn't shoot the puck really well. Just, you know, he's, just, you know, he's not a real threat to shoot and score. So, you know, teams know that and, and he's on a strong side. So, you know, the catch and release is, is even harder for a guy who doesn't shoot the puck exceptionally well, like a, like a, like a Matthews can. So, um, you know, it starts with that because, you know, you have a designated passer over there um, and everybody knows it. And so I thought they were getting stuck up top, just kind of passing the puck between the three of them, trying to get Matthews the puck to shoot. And as skilled as they are, if you know what they you want, they want to do, you, you kind of should be able to defend it a little bit. And, and teams were doing that. So uh, and then the other part of it is because they want to run it off Mitch Marner, you know, on the right side and Austin's more of a shooter on the left side. When William Nylander's on that first unit, and he's the net front guy, and Tavares is kind of the high slot tipper guy. Mm-hmm. When Nylander, you know, slides out, and I and I and I do think they should use the goal line extended and use the slot and find different looks beyond just working the top triangle. But when Nylander slides off the side of the net as a right shot, those are not great passing angles. Marner on his right with a right shot, and Nylander with a stick basically beside the net. You'd rather have a lefty over there where it's an easier passing angle, his chest is opened up to the ice in front of him, and he's got better looks and ability to get the puck to the guys that you want to shoot the puck, which might be Tavares in the slot or, or, or Matthew. So I wonder if it would not make more sense, as great as Tavares is in and around the net, put Tavares on the goal line, put Nylander in the high slot, and then let Tavares work with Marner, and then let Nylander just shoot the puck. Or occasionally offer a little bit of a different look and let... Um, let William Nylander play where Mitch Marner plays and let Marner slide around. And I think we watch, you know, Evan is a good example. We just talked about them. Like you, you don't get the same look between McDavid, Drysdale, and Nugent Hopkins, two power plays in a row. Like they, they go all over the place. Like sometimes they're on the strong side. Sometimes Drysdale's in the bumper spot. Like they are all over the map. And because of it, it's hard to read. And I think maybe Toronto could do well to, to offer a little bit more fluidity, a little more flexibility in, in their setups uh, but having said that, I, that's, that's still not nearly a good enough explanation for this crazy cold slump they've been on. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but the talent is so uh, overwhelming there that you figure it'll eventually break through. Um, I guess the like, last thing for the Leafs that I'm curious about is how they're going to deploy their forwards from this perspective. I think they, you know, a lot was made of during the trade line of how they went and got Nick Felino as opposed to some other options they could have, and they clearly prioritized sort of the utility of being able to mix and match depending on the game state, being better at when they're up late, uh, being able to throw away, throw out uh, low event combinations out there that can kind of grind away a game and sort of put the clamps mm-hmm. on a team as opposed to just continuously just trading chances and playing open-ended hockey and exposing themselves to risk. And so this gives them the opportunity. It seems like he's going to start games with Nylander and Tavares, which makes a lot of sense in terms of creating space for them and sort of doing the dirty work. But they also have the opportunity. It seems like Riley Nash is going to be back now throw him together with, you know, whether Engvall or McKayev, and all of a sudden you have options there for Sheldon Keefe to throw out late in games when they're trying to ice away, basically, or salt away a one-goal uh, lead. And so I'll, I'll be watching that because I know they've clearly, pretty much since the end of last season, been making a big point of being able to sort of prove to both themselves and everyone that they can win those games, that they can play different types of hockey come the postseason and so basically the entire season has sort of been leading up to this and and so this is a great opportunity for them to prove that they can yeah it is very interesting all all, all the points you you mentioned because I'm, I'm curious you know hyman up the first line with matthews and marner makes sense they've been awesome together and he's very good there um you know but there are so many possibilities felino playing on the second line you know he's looked pretty good when he's played so far he's picked up some assists or whatever but you know he's he's been kind of solid in his own end solid on the boards doesn't have quite the pace to his game that those guys play with, but maybe that's the, the anchor that they want kind of just to let those guys go do their thing. And he can kind of 
trade loose pucks and, and be good in his own end. But I just want a long term. You're, you're exactly right. Like, could Kerfoot be up there? Could he be a viable option? I don't know. Galchenyuk, I know the numbers with Galchenyuk were really good when he played there. Um, although I'm still, having been around Chucky for a long time, I, I'm still leery. Um, but their third line, like, Riley Nash hasn't played in a while. And I just assumed he'd play fourth line center and, and, and be kind of a defensive specialist. And you could have Spets on there as a face off and power play specialist and Joe Thornton as a character and power play specialist, or whatever. They play six minutes. I did not anticipate Riley Nash maybe getting a run at third line center because that's going to take, you know, that's a, that's a significant role on this team. Mikheyev, Engvall, Kerfoot, whoever the wingers end up being along with Riley Nash for a guy who has not played. So I'm going to be watching that really closely. We know, I mean, you follow the Leafs. Sheldon Keefe, since the first day of training camp, when he put Zach Hyman on the third line, it, it, was, it was imperative. He wanted Mikheyev, Kerfoot, Hyman. He wanted a shutdown line that he knew he could put out against anyone and they would, they would be fine. And, 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 and he kind of constructed a lot of his roster based on the desire to have that. And so I guess that's what he's looking for. He wants a, he wants a, a net zero line. That's what Riley Nash does. He doesn't give you anything at all. But he doesn't give up anything either. And, and maybe that's with the, the strength of their top two lines, that's all they need. You know, we're nitpicking. It's the third and fourth lines we're going to hash over for the Leafs because so much else looks right yeah. for them. Um, but I think as they go forward, if they go forward, it probably gets more important. Like when you get to the next round, if it's Edmonton, you know, can Riley Nash skate with Connor McDavid? Is, is that good enough? You get to the next round and it's Carolina and they have a three good line. Like it, it will matter more and more as they go, but um, it will be fascinating. And the other thing is, listen, I have a hard time. I root for all the guys that I used to play against. Anyone who's still in the league that I played against, I'm like, I like them. I want them to do well, stay forever. So when I see Jumbo and I see Wayne out there, I see Spaz, like, I, can you, I don't know how much you play those guys five on five. Like, I don't, I don't know how many minutes you can, play them uh, like i know jumbo's been pretty good as of late spez has had an, just an incredible year but just i i i don't know if I, I i just i just don't know so i'm you know maybe against montreal but montreal's got four lines maybe play them against eric Stahl's line who doesn't he doesn't move quite as well anymore but um yeah i just i don't know if i'm long for any of those lines for the duration maybe this series it makes sense but for the duration i i think we probably see some different looks as we go if they get past the first round yep which is fine. Like they wanted to basically get as many players that could do different stuff as they can and try to figure yeah. it out along the way. And that's a good problem to have. I think you can, you can tell by sort of our, our, our tone antenna, right. And sort of the severity of the problems. It's like for the Habs, is their top line right winger going to be playing and will they be able to generate enough offense? And then for the Leafs, it's like <laughs> third line wing versus, uh, you know, hang balls hot. Is he going to get to play enough? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think, I think it's important because I think it's very boring, uh, broadcasting and, and podcasting and whatever for us to just come out here and be like, yeah, the one team is severely favored and they're going to win. I think it's much more interesting to, to figure out where it could go wrong or how the other team has a chance. The other part of this, and, and you know, and you and I both know that I, I subscribe very much to numbers and to rational thought, but I just the one aspect of this scenario that is I'm curious about is, and, and I don't, I don't know how much scar tissue, like mental scar tissue, confidence scar tissue, there might be for Toronto given their Game Seven struggles the last couple of years, but if Montreal somehow wins one of the first two games, like I, I just wonder just what the mood. If Jack Campbell doesn't play really well, like, you know, this here we go again, like, you know, even my kids, I got two daughters who are teenagers, they don't, they've never played hockey in their lives, but even my, they're like, yeah, but at least aren't very good in the playoffs. I'm like, well, hang on, like, that's not really fair to say, but, you know, that idea that maybe does, does, does the pressure ratchet up somehow for Toronto if it doesn't go well early, knowing what an opportunity this is? That's fair. I think my counterpoint would be last year's Tampa Bay Lightning, where in, I guess it was round one of the actual playoffs, where it took them five overtimes to beat Columbus in round one. In game yeah, game, one. first game, yeah. Game two, I think they got smoked, and it was 1-1 going back to Columbus. Or I guess they were playing in the bowl, so they weren't going back to Columbus. But it was 1-1, and then it was, oh, okay, what's going to happen here? And yeah. then they just summarily beat them the rest of the way because yeah. they're the better team. And so That's know. how it should go. That's how it should go. Um but, you know, you know, the confidence can be a tricky thing. But, I mean, I think unless Carey Price does something amazing, and I know last year in the bubble he was really, really good, great numbers, um, but he's just, been, he's just been okay this year again, right? He's yeah, kind of been, a, you know, an average guy. Montreal basically needs either bubble Carey Price or 2017 Jake Allen when he was just out of his mind for, like, 
13 playoff yeah. games or whatever. So either well, one of those will do. Could happen. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I think that's it. I think that's all I've got for this series. Like, I, you know, the first one was, was more interesting for me in terms of just trying to figure out how the pieces are going to fit together. The yeah. second one might be more entertaining from a sort of storyline perspective once the series gets going. It's, it's a shame there won't be fans because that could certainly add a fun element to it. But I think it'll still be a, a competitive and, and fun series to watch. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. Is there anything else that uh, we didn't get to on your on your notes? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm, and the other thing I'm curious is, uh, obviously if, if Jack Campbell's like Jack Campbell's been great, uh, not great. He's been, you know, slightly above average, but they, that's what they've needed, right? Like he's not been bad at all. He's just been slightly above average solid. Um, how much run does he get? I mean, I, I think he probably plays virtually all the entire time, but, um, if they were to lose two games, I'm just, you know, just, you wonder what Sheldon Keefe's dedication to Jack Campbell is belief in Jack Campbell as a goalie. Well, how long that'll last. Yep, that's fair. Um, um, all right, MJ. Uh, where, uh, when are we going to see you next on our TV screens? Uh, not. I will be. And you'll see me from Latvia coming up soon. Yeah. I'm heading over to Latvia for the world, so I'll be there for a couple weeks, calling all those games, calling the Canada games, U.S. games. So should be a lot of fun over there. And then I'll be back early June, and you'll see me all over the map like I like I usually am. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna sending you some messages about uh, Owen Power and Maddie Berniers and uh, listen for the playoffs for the draft. Uh, I, 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 I might be like those are probably the two players I want to watch the most. Like it's going to be interesting because it's younger guys and not the high end stars, perhaps. But I've never seen Owen Power play in, in real life, and I've never seen Matty Beniers play in real life. And I want to watch both of them. I, I, that Beniers can just fly around the ice. I want to see him go to work. And on those teams, they might get to play a big role. So it should be uh, entertaining, anyways, if if not the the star power they usually have. Cool. All right, MJ. Well, uh, all right, brother. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, enjoy yourself. Have a blast, and we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. Hopefully, you enjoyed our playoff previews, the East and Central divisions that we did with Ryan Lambert last week, and then this most recent one with Mike Johnson of the North Division. Uh, we didn't get to the West Division previews just because the timing didn't line up with the end of the regular season and the start of those series over the weekend, but we will focus on them more closely. We're going to have plenty of sort of early impressions of the series uh podcast to do and then obviously recaps of round one previews around two so on and so forth all the way through the postseason on this feed so stick around for that i promise we will cover it all at some point uh if you enjoy the show please consider helping us out by leaving a quick little rating and review each one is greatly appreciated a lot of you have done so already and continue to do so and i thank every each and every one of you for doing so so please it's really easy to do bang it out helps us a lot moving forward and all that good stuff um so we will be back soon hopefully either at the end of this week or early next week with some round one thoughts and we're gonna go from there so thanks for listening as always and until then the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast